Kia ora. welcome to Under the Checkered Flag, MotoGP edition. I'm your host Kate, and we're just going to jump right in. And welcome back. Coming into this weekend, we saw that Marc Marquez had signed with Grassini Racing. They didn't announce whether he's going to be riding for them or if he's going to be a team coach, but I think it is safe to assume that Marc Marquez will be riding a Ducati next year. And I am so ridiculously excited. I'm just, oh, it'll be so interesting to see his development, to see how he gets on that bike and if he instantly adapts like he did when he moved up from Moto2 to MotoGP. It'll be really interesting to see how he fares without the majority of his crew and without Santi Hernandez because Mark without Honda seems weird but Mark without Santi seems yeah I still can't get my head around that one I do hope that they'll be reunited possibly in 2025 because I still think there is that possibility that he is going to go to KTM possibly alongside Brad Binder or Pedro Acosta. I'm not too sure what that sort of situation would look like. But that's getting ahead of myself. The massive news this week was that he had confirmed with Grassini. So initially, there was going to be a press conference that just had Mark himself. Unfortunately, that got cancelled. The reasons for which are assumed, and this is just an assumption, it is assumed that Honda asked Mark not to make an announcement. So Mark, of course, would oblige that because he wants to respect Honda's wishes. But obviously, Honda aren't going to be able to have a sway in Grassini, with Grassini being an independent team and an independent team that's aligned with Ducati. So that was a big player. And we saw it in the press conferences all the social media exploded, as you'd expect with news like this. And something I found quite humorous that it may be a common theme next year is that the Grassini website crashed. And I suppose it's going to be very interesting for such a small team, because they are one of the smaller independent teams in the paddock. It is going to be very interesting to see how they manage with all the press conferences, all the, you know, getting to places, getting on time, all the publicity. Yes, they'll be getting probably quite a nice cash injection from new sponsors and things like that, but it is going to be very interesting to see how Grassini themselves have to adapt to having an eight times world champion and really a global superstar on their bike. One final thing on this topic before I do get to the racing, and I promise I'm almost there. We did see conflicting reports coming out of RNF Aprilia. So it seems that management at Aprilia and at RNF, including Raslan, have said that there is no such clause for Oliveira to leave. Oliveira has disputed this and said there is a clause for him to leave. Raslan also said that Honda told him that Oliveira approached Honda, that it was not Honda that approached Oliveira, and Oliveira disputes this. And it's very interesting to me because 
this shows a clear divide that's formed in the team and it does make you wonder if it's already a done deal, you know? Why is there this conflicting information? Are Honda gonna be helping Ollie by himself out of that contract with Aprilia? Because I imagine that based on these uh, speculative rumours and these reports and what Reslan and Aprilia have said, they're not going to be happy if Ollie breaks his contract, or Maverick Mignales for that matter. And so it will just be a very interesting thing to keep an eye on, and I do have to wonder if we'll get more news in the coming days. And yeah, I'm not sure if I want Ollie to go to Honda. I definitely don't want Maverick to go there, because I think that'd just be bad for Maverick. So we will wait and see in the coming days. Now. Let's get all excited because it is time to talk about Moto3. As always, Moto3 is absolutely wild and this weekend again was absolutely no exception. I think we knew it was going to be quite spicy when Daniel Holgado got his first long lap penalty for cutting a corner, taking a shortcut. So he was leading the Grand Prix at this point, probably due to that shortcut, admittedly. But then he went in, took his long lap penalty, and came out in P10. And the battle at the front is still going on at this point, and you've got all your big players in there. You've got David Alonso, you've got Jaume Massia, Dennis Onchu. It was just an absolutely banging race. Like, definitely one of the better ones that... I know Moto3 is always incredible, but wow, that was absolutely incredible. So he goes in, takes that, and then he fights his way back to the front. And that's awesome because he does some really bold overtakes, but nothing too, nothing too aggressive. But then as he gets his way back to the front, we get to the last lap and it's still like a group of seven, I believe. Might have been six at this point. But he battles his way to the front and he almost takes out Massia. And it's like, oof. And then you see it. You see that he gets another long lap penalty. And I I just couldn't believe it. It was like, what's it for? It must have been for track limits because he did have a track limit warning earlier in the day. So then you know he's not in the title fight. And that itself is absolutely... Oh, I say title fight. My apologies. I'm mean in a fight for the win for the race. Because either one, he completes his long lap penalty, or two, he has to take that three second time penalty at the end. And in the end, that is what he did. He took that three second time penalty. And in the end, in all the last lap drama, he managed to cross the line in P9. So with that three second penalty, he ended up all the way down in P14. By ending in P14, that means he only managed to get two points. Now, Jaume Massia, he finished in P6, picking up 10 points, but the podium is what I really, really want to talk about. Because on the podium, in P3, was David Munoz. Really happy to see him back in the podium. I'm someone who quite enjoys a bit more of the aggressive racing, and so seeing him up there is always quite fun for me. In his interview with Simon Crowfire after the race, he called the race mad. And you know that when he calls it mad, it truly is a mad one because it's quite aggressive and he's an aggressive rider. So if he thinks it's a bit 
crazy, then you definitely know it is. He made some aggressive moves in this race, but overall, they all came out okay, and it saw him end up on the third step of the podium. In P2, we had the rookie, David Alonso, and not only is he in his rookie season and fighting for this world championship, ending in P2 on the podium, he has not been to this track before, so it's absolutely incredible to see what he has done, and he could be a rookie world champion. If he doesn't make that this year, I think that next year he's definitely going to be in championship contention from the absolute get-go. In P1, we had a brand new Moto3 Grand Prix winner in Diogo Moreira. It's the first time a Brazilian's won a Gr Moto3 Grand Prix. It's the first time a Brazilian has won a any Grand Prix race in this class, so Moto3, Moto2 and MotoGP, since 2005. So it's been quite a while and just absolute props. It would have been a very special moment and really great for the MTI team. Big props all around, but now we're on to Moto2. I have to admit, I put a lot of faith in Aaron Kinnett this weekend. You'd think I would have learned my lesson by now, but I didn't. He, yeah, he got another P2. Behind him on the podium was Fermin Aldegar getting his second podium of his Grand Prix career, so that's big props to him. But I just can't get over the fact that Annette, Annette, Aaron Kinnett is P2 again. I will continue to hold out hope and keep everything crossed, fingers and toes crossed that he gets his win. Just for peace of mind. I really, really want it. I have never wanted Pedro Acosta to have a mechanical issue that puts him out of the race so bad than I did in this one because Kinnett looked so strong all weekend. I really, really thought he had an actual shot. But unfortunately, he didn't. So that was very unfortunate. So he had to settle for P2 and Pedro Acosta took his sec seventh, not second, seventh win of the season meaning if he wins in Australia and if he wins in Thailand he will be crowned the Moto2 world champion. He'll then be moving up to Moto GP next year as a two times world champion because he does have a Moto3 world championship already un his, under his belt. That's all I'm going to say about Moto2, just because I'm so disappointed being a massive Aaron Kinnett fangirl. So, on to the rest of it. Before we dive in to the Saturday and Sunday action, I absolutely have to talk about qualifying, because that was without a doubt the wildest qualifying we've seen in a while. So... Peko Bagnaya was going to go through Q1, and I believe, you know, I think everyone believed he'd just go through to Q2, but he didn't. In fact, he got knocked out of Q2 by his own teammate, Enea Bastanini, and this is an 
absolute disaster for him and I have to admit I'll give props to TV direction here they cut to the Ducati garage at the exact right time there were faces of absolute steel in there so if you don't know Enea Bastanini is returning from injury He's not in this world championship fight at all just because he's had such bad luck. Well, partly bad luck and partly bad decisions throughout the year. You did think that Ducati might actually pull team orders this weekend because Peko Bagnaia is right up there in the title fight. He came into this weekend leading the title fight. And so you'd expect that Ducati, Factory Ducati, sorry, would do absolutely everything to keep him in this title fight. But there was no direction, I suppose. And Anaya Bastanini, like I said, he's not worried about the title fight. He just wants to have a good race. So he gets through to Q2 and knocks Peko out. And it's just one of those moments where you're like, ooh, that's going to go down well. So that put Pecco out, Anaya Bastanini and Luca Marini went through, and then Luca Marini, wow. So Luca Marini's just come back from having his collarbone broken, and he puts it on pole position. And it was an incredible maiden pole for him, and I'm really, really happy for him. And it was just honestly a stunning performance to go through Q1 and stick it on pole is always something majorly, majorly impressive. The other two people I want to talk about in qualifying are the two other people who are in the title fight. So that is Marco Bezzecchi and Jorge Martin. Both of these guys ended up on the ground in the Q2 session, both of them crashing, both of them making a mad dash back to the garages to basically get back on the bike and make the most of this opportunity because with Peko starting so far down they both wanted to gain as many points as they could on Peko Bagnaia and obviously the best way to do that was by starting so much further ahead of him. We all know how, well, we all know how supposedly how difficult it is to overtake in MotoGP and this track especially because what you could clearly see is that if you were even slightly off the racing line. The track was dirty. Now this was just because it's a coastal location, it's one that's rarely used, so that when, sorry, when riders were going off track, they were losing it almost instantly. We do see it in the sprint, and I'll talk about that soon, but it just showed how much they really wanted to push to get really good positions, but neither of them managed to. And probably part of it was putting it on the deck. Part of it was probably the pressure that's actually getting to them because you can see it on their faces now. One of the really good TV direction moments again was when Peko Bagnaia was battling to get into Q2 and they cut to Jorge Martin who is adamantly watching to see if Peko gets through to Q2. And I'm sure the absolute relief that Jorge Martin and the whole Pramac garage felt when he didn't would have been yeah you probably could have had a sigh of relief from across the paddock when that happened so in the end Marco Bezzecchi started in p9 and Jorge Martin started in p6 and these were definitely not the results that they would have wanted initially fortunately come Saturday 
these guys powered through the field and did some serious, serious damage to Peko's championship lead with on Saturday, we came out with a new world championship leader in Jorge Martin. The sprint was definitely one of the better ones we've seen, I think. It was quite clean. We did only see one incident and that was Alicia Spargaro. Um, he attempted to overtake Brad Binder. Unfortunately, he did seem to hit some dirty ground, as I said before. If you went off the racing line, you would find yourself on dust and sand and things like that and it was very easy to lose it. Alish lost it and just collected Brad Binder on the way through. It was a racing incident, quite a few people. Initially, actually I was one of those people where I was like, oh that could possibly be penalty material. But then watching the replay it was like, oh yeah, if we penalise that we have to penalise anything under the sun. And so yeah, it was just a racing incident. Unfortunate for Brad, as it obviously did ruin his race. He did remount and continue the race, and he did finish in P19. I saw an interview with him after, actually, and he said that he was quite happy with the speed, considering he didn't have any winglets and things like that, which was quite entertaining, really, because I suppose now they're so used to riding with the wings and the aero, it's quite different when that doesn't happen. One other thing about the sprint that I found highly, highly interesting is that Peko Bagnaya did not do many, if any, overtakes. I can't remember any, if I'm honest. He did finish in P8, but it's also noted that he, you know, people in front of him crashed out, Alish, Marc Marquez and Brad Binder all crashed. And so that's three of those positions. And I know Jack Miller made a mistake in the closing stages of the lap, which was unfortunate, which meant that Peko and the Beast got another position. If you look at that in contrast to Marco Bezzecchi and Jorge Martin, they performed lots and lots of overtakes. One other thing on the sprint before I get into the results is he finished behind his teammate and as I said just before Inaya Bastanini isn't in this championship fight and Ducati still didn't really give team orders. We did see a couple of things that could suggest they were hinting to Bastanini to drop a position and one of those was he got mapping 8 on his dashboard. Now I don't know what mapping 8 is, I don't know if it's hint or anything like that. But that was one of the things that we saw. The other thing that we saw is, well this one's not really a hint because everyone does it. On his pit lane board, he had Pekka Bagnaya and plus 0.1. And so later, it, I saw an interview, but I will need to fact check this. So do do your own fact checking. Ducati was saying that they expected Nea to let Pecco passed them when he saw that on the pit board. But if it were me, that I'd need to be told directly if I'm honest, because the beast just wants to run his race. He's not interested in this championship. If Ducati did really want to get, you know, involved in this, they should have just had drop a position. And it would have been very entertaining if Anaya Bastanini had ignored it like Jorge Lorenzo did. But yeah, that's just one of the 
things that was very interesting to me. So the results in P4, even though he did an excellent sprint, he just wasn't able to manage those tyres. It was Maverick Vinales. In P3, we saw Marco Bezzecchi. Amazing, considering he had surgery on Monday and then is on the podium on Saturday. Luca Marini in P2 and Jorge Martin in P1, our new championship leader. Absolutely incredible ride by all three of those guys. So, on to the main thing, on to Sunday and the main race. Where does one start with a race like this? Now I'll admit, I didn't expect too much in the Indonesian Grand Prix. I expected entertainment and a bit of spice, but I did not expect this Sunday race. Where to start with the drama? Let's start with Brad Binder. So Brad Binder performed a overly ambitious, we could say, overtake in the race and he collected Luca Marini. Luca Marini crashed out of the race and Binder got a long lap penalty, which I believe was deserved for that. I also want, just want to shout out to Luca Marini who then remounted, rejoined the race, served his own long lap penalty before retiring from the race. I think that's a very smart move and yeah, I'm very happy that he got that done. Brad Binder then went on to do a few regular overtakes. Then he did another aggressive overtake on Miguel Oliveira. Poor old Miguel. Um, yeah, he pretty much ruined Miguel's race as well, took out some of his winglets, sent him into the car park basically, and so Binder managed to get another long lap penalty. So he served his first one, and then he's just cutting his way back through the field, he gets himself another long lap penalty. And so he serves that. Somehow, in all that madness, having served two long lap penalties, in true Brad Binder style, he finishes in P6. Really, really impressive and yeah, it was quite spicy, I suppose. Some people think the penalties were too harsh, some people think they weren't harsh enough. I think they're probably about right, to be fair. So I'm okay with his penalties. I don't think there was anything more that needs to be said about that, but I'm still quite impressed he finished in P6. In P5 we had Marco Bezzecchi, a very strong weekend from him overall. Big shout out to the guy who finished in P4, Fabio Digi Anantonio. Got that super wrong last week, as people like to tell me. Hopefully I didn't butcher it nearly as much this week, but I'm almost certain I did. So I'm just going to call him Digi. So Digi managed to secure probably his best finish, at least the best finish that I can think of, in MotoGP. He's done it in style, has just lost his job, manages to score a really great result, and just big props to him. I hope he finds a position that really suits him, and I do hope that he does good things moving forward. So let's get to the podium. We have 
Fabio Quattararo. He said he was coming in this weekend wanting a podium, and well, he definitely got that podium. Very happy for him, very happy for Yamaha, because this is quite a big win for them. Overall, I think they will be, like I said, happy with that. Obviously, if you were watching the race, you could see that Quattararo did have the pace to overtake Vinales. However, that Yamaha does seem to have a lot more trouble overtaking than the rest of the manufacturers. And I just let slip who was in P2, Maverick Vinales. He put on a amazing, amazing ride. And I am quite gutted for Mav that he didn't get that win because then he would become the third, the first person to win with three manufacturers and I think that would have been really cool. I do just want to say though, this result for me shows exactly why Vinales should stay at Aprilia. He's clearly happy there. It's so good to see him smiling. We saw an absolutely wonderful Batman celebration on the podium. It was just really heartwarming and it warms my heart to see Maverick Vinales happy again. And I just would do anything to keep him, you know, happy at Aprilia. I really don't like to think about the possibility of him going to Honda because I just feel it wouldn't be good for his mental health and it wouldn't be good for Honda, it wouldn't be good for Mav. Just stay in that family friendly team Mav, just do it, just stay there. So let's move on to the person who is in P1. And it's not the one I thought I'd be saying. It's Pecco Bagnaia. So, wow. From P13 on the grid, he got all the way through to P1 to win this race, to reclaim the championship title, which he had lost the day before to Jorge Martin. He took it back today. Not only did he put that performance on and get P1, he now takes the lead by 18 points because perhaps the biggest talking point of this Sunday race is the fact that Jorge Martin bottled it. He crashed out from P1, he had a three second lead and he put it on the ground over the world feed you're listening and you hear that absolute shock in the commentator's voice you hear him just go like yell martin is down and you're like oh my gosh because like i said he was three seconds up the road there was no pressure on him at all you see him crash and they don't have it on the big screen yet but he's in that little tiny corner screen and you just see his head in his hands and you're like he's not getting back on that and yeah personally i think if he could have got it started again would have still got some points would have been absolutely crucial but i think when you saw his head in his hands you knew that it was done you knew he wasn't getting back on that because he was just mentally like oh shit, basically and i felt so bad for him they did show a few clips of him afterwards just watching the racing and he looked devastated feel so so bad for the guy I really really do and it does make me wonder if this is gonna break his flow is this gonna be the thing that has just won Pecco Bagnaro championship 
and just lost Jorge Martin one. It really could be because this could so, so easily get into Jorge Martin's head. And yeah, it could be game over for him. Personally, I'm still rooting for Jorge Martin. I still really want to see him win this world championship. So fingers, fingers and toes crossed that he gets a great result next week, that we get this championship going all the way down to the wire. I'm hoping for it. Not too sure what everyone else is hoping for, but it was definitely, definitely not the result I was expecting at all. So that is just my very brief summary of what was perhaps one of the best weekends of the year so far in Indonesia. And wow, what a weekend. But to get onto the next stuff, we're gonna talk about next week's racing. So with these two triple headers, I am just gonna continue doing one show a week rather than a review show and a preview show, just because otherwise I think I'd be getting burnout pretty quick. I feel quite a bit for all the teams and the riders especially as a lot of them don't ride in first class or business class, they're going to be absolutely shattered at the end of this run. So next week we've got Phillip Island. So Phillip Island is one of my absolute favourite tracks. I adore it. It's maybe partly because I live in New Zealand and Phillip Island is as close as to a home track as I have at the moment. Although considering I was born in England, it is debatable as to whether I would consider Silverstone as my home track, but I like Phillip Island a lot more than I like Silverstone, so I'm going to stick with Phillip Island. I think I'm just going to jump right in to my predictions. On Moto3 podium, I think we are going to see Daniel Holgado in P1. David Alonso in P2 and Jaume Masia in P3. I think after this weekend, Holgado is going to be pushing a bit harder. I think he's going to try and keep a cool head. And I think that the KTMs are going to perform quite strongly at this track. That's why I put him in P1, I suppose. There's not really any other explanation I can give. In Moto2, I'm giving up <laughs> a little bit with my Aaron Kinnett love for a while. I think in Moto2, let's put Furman Audiger in P1. Let's bring some of that momentum from this weekend. Let's, you know, see how that goes. In P2, I'm going to go with Pedro Acosta. And in P3, I'm going to go with Alonso Lopez. Did toy with the idea of Jake Dixon in there, but I think he's going to end up in P4. So that's what I'm going with. On to MotoGP. Sprint. I want to put... Ooh, Jack Miller. Yep, I've got to do it. I've got to go for the home guy. I've got to go for the Australian. P3 in the sprint. I think in P2, we're going to see Pekko Bagnaya. And in P1, I think we're going to see in the sprint... Mark Marquez's first sprint win. I think it's his best shot this year. I think it's his only shot this year. And so maybe it's copium. I'm not sure. But I think Mark Marquez is going to take the sprint win here at Phillip Island. Fingers crossed he does. 
because I would love to see it. In the main race, I'm putting Marco Bezzecchi in P3 on the podium, Jorge Martin in P2 on the podium, and Luca Marini in P1 on the podium. I know that may seem a bit spicy, but I think that it's only a matter of time with Luca Marini, and I think given his momentum from the pole position this week, given another week to recover from that collarbone injury, I really think that this could be a really opportune moment for the guy. So those are my predictions. We'll see how well they age. Thank you so much for listening, and I will be back here next week. Like and subscribe, and have a great week.